Section three of National Geographic Magazine, Volume two, Numbers one and two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in September two thousand thirteen. On the Telegraphic Determinations of Longitude by the Bureau of Navigation by John Alexander Norris Part Three. The next expedition was sent out by the Bureau of Navigation to China, Japan, and the East Indies, Lieutenant Commander Green being still in charge. The officers composing the party sailed from San Francisco by mail steamer in April 1881 for Yokohama, where they joined the U.S. steamer Palos. From Hong Kong north to Vladivostok in eastern Siberia, the cables were owned by a Danish company. From Hong Kong to the south and west, they were the property of English companies. Beginning at Vladivostok, observations were made at all stations on the Asiatic coast except Penang, as far as Madras, India. It was intended to try and make some use of the automatic method of receiving time signals on this work, but on arriving in Japan it was found that the recording instrument used by the Danish company was entirely different from that used by the English lines. It consisted of a series of electromagnets acting on a single armature which carried a siphon made of silver. The signals consisted of long and short movements to one side of the middle line instead of equal deflections on both sides as in the Thompson recorder. An attempt was made to converge this instrument into a relay by causing the siphon to make and break a circuit, but it was not successful. The movements of the siphon were not regular enough and the contact was not firm. Consequently, the mirror method of exchanging signals was still adhered to. The longitude of the position occupied in Vladivostok had been determined telegraphically from Pulkova by the Russians, using the landlines across Siberia. The English had also determined the position at Madras, using the cables through the Mediterranean and Red Seas. The work of the United States expedition joined these two positions, completing a chain of measurements extending over many thousand miles, made by observers of different nationalities in various climates. It was to be expected that considerable discrepancy would be found in the final result, but taking the longitude of Vladivostok as brought from Madras, and comparing it with that determined by the Russians, the difference was only 0 0.39 seconds. Taking everything into consideration, this result was gratifyingly close. Upon the conclusion of this series of determinations, the connection of Lieutenant Commander Green with the work was severed, his receiving the promotion to the rank of commander. The next work was under the charge of Lieutenant Commander Davis, and consisted in the determination in 1883-84 to 84 of positions in Mexico, Central America, and the west coast of South America. Cables had just been completed, extending from Galveston, Texas, to Vera Cruz, thence across Mexico to the Pacific, and down that coast to Lima, Peru, 
where connection was made with another system extending to Valparaiso. Galveston was a point determined by the coast survey, and the measurement thence to Vera Cruz was the first one made. It was completed in May 83, and in the autumn of the same year the party proceeded to the South American coast, and stations were established and observations made at various points from Valparaiso to Panama, and, at one point, La Libertad, in Central America. It was at first the intention to extend the series across the isthmus of Tehuantepec and connect with Veracruz, but lack of time prevented this and as the station at panama determined nearly ten years before afforded a convenient starting point the idea was abandoned from valparaiso a measurement was made with the cooperation of dr gould to his observatory at cordova using the line across the andes and exchanging signals automatically these measurements constituted the final links in a long chain extending from the prime meridian greenwich across the atlantic to the united states thence via the west indies to panama down the west coast of south america to valparaiso across the andes to cordova and buenos aires up the east coast to pernambuco across the atlantic to lisbon and thence to greenwich altogether a distance of eighteen to twenty thousand miles the two longitudes of cordova as brought from greenwich by the two routes differed from each other only by zero point zero four eight seconds a result which speaks well for the accuracy of the methods employed when preparations were being made for this expedition it was determined to accomplish, if possible, something in the way of getting rid of the personal equation in exchanging signals. An idea which has been suggested by work done by Major Campbell, R.E., in the measurement between Bombay and Aden, seemed to promise well. It was to be used with the siphon or other form of recorder. The ordinary double-current cable key with two levers was arranged with an additional lever in such a manner that while in ordinary use in the telegraph office it could also be put in circuit with the chronometer and chronograph in the observatory, and a signal sent through the cable would have its time of sending registered on the chronograph. Ordinarily in speaking over a cable line, connection is made in such a way that the current sent does not pass through the recorder at the sending station, as a violent movement of the siphon would result. By means of a shunt, however, it is possible to control this movement somewhat. Suppose now that the connections at each station are made in such a way, by means of this key and the shunt, that a signal sent from one is registered on both recorders and on the sender's chronograph. The observers leaving their assistants to take care of the chronographs go to the respective telegraph offices, and, all being ready, the observer A taps his key. This sends an impulse through the cable which appears on A's recorder as a violent jump or kick of the siphon. On B's recorder, it is registered as a deflection like the ordinary dot or dash, at the same instant is recorded on A's chronograph the time of sending. As soon as B sees the signal on his recorder, he taps his key also registering the signals on both recorders and on his chronograph. A, seeing B's signal, again taps his key, and so on, 
as long as desired the result is that each observer has a record on his siphon fillet of all signals sent and received while the times of those he sent are recorded on his chronograph by the use of the diagonal scale and the rule of three he can without difficulty find the times of the signals received the siphon recorders are well made and the paper moves with great regularity this system was used in the measurement between Galveston and Vera Cruz with great success. It was intended to employ the same method throughout the measurement on the west coast of America, but on arriving at Lima it was found that the company owning the lines south of that point still used the mirror galvanometer, and it was of course necessary to return to the old method. The improved key was used, however, which eliminated the error in sending signals. After this work was completed and the results published in 1885, nothing was done in this line by the Bureau of Navigation for some years. Upon the return of the writer in the spring of 1888 from a cruise in the South Pacific, he found that the subject of sending an expedition to complete the measurements in mexico and central america was under consideration in the bureau of navigation and the hydrographic office it was finally decided that the work should be done and the writer was placed in charge the instruments were brought out of their retirement and by the aid of the hydrographic office a very complete outfit was furnished and in november of last year a start was made from new york the expedition proceeding by mail steamer to vera cruz here the spot occupied by lieutenant commander davis in eighty three was found his transit pyre which was still standing was repaired and instruments mounted lieutenant charles laird u s navy who had been identified with the longitude work since the china expedition in eighteen eighty one was left in charge of the observatory at vera cruz and the writer proceeded with his party to the small town of quatzacoalcos at the mouth of the river of the same name this point is about one hundred and twenty miles southeast of vera cruz and is the landing-place of the cable a landline extends from this point to salina cruz on the pacific coast a distance of about two hundred miles in exchanging time signals between vera cruz and quatzacoalcos the automatic method was employed the cable being short the old wooden observatories were used at these points but as they were too heavy for transportation across the isthmus tents made especially for astronomical purposes were substituted for them in the observations made on the pacific coast the journey across the isthmus was slow about two weeks being employed in travelling two hundred miles though as the route was devious the actual distance was nearer three hundred some of the instruments were heavy and after being taken in canoes a hundred miles up the quatzacoalcos river against the rapid torrent they were loaded on a train of pack mules and carried the rest of the way by land while the first party was crossing the isthmus the other was on its way from vera cruz and being ready at about the same time a successful measurement was made between quatzacoalcos and salina cruz exchanging signals automatically 
the quetzalcoatlcos party then crossed to salina cruz while the other proceeded to la libertad in salvador where the station established in the spring of eighty four was again occupied the measurement between these places being completed the libertad party went on to san juan del sur in nicaragua near the terminus of the proposed interoceanic canal in the measurement between this point and salina cruz as well as in the one preceding the exchange was effected by mirror signals this completed the season's work and the two parties made the best of their way home via panama arriving in washington in april and may respectively the computation of the observations is not yet complete though well advanced it was the intention to publish preliminary results this fall but owing to lack of time this cannot be done another piece of work is laid out for the same party for the coming winter which is the measurement from santiago de cuba through haiti and san domingo to la guaira in venezuela over the cables of a french company which have just been completed this work will consume about six months and the expedition which is to start almost immediately will probably return in april or may next the determination of the longitude of la guaira will give a point from which many other measurements may be made along the north coast of south america furnishing material for extensive corrections of the charts of that region having presented an outline of the work done so far as well as that proposed for the near future i will now mention some of the trials and tribulations as well as the pleasures experienced in carrying out the object desired in an expedition of this kind the greatest politeness and kindness have always been experienced from the officials and employees of the various telegraph companies over whose lines work has been carried on the government officials of the foreign countries visited have also invariably shown the utmost politeness but sometimes this politeness has been visibly tinged with suspicion the measurements in peru and chile were made amid the closing scenes of the war between the countries upon the arrival of the expedition in lima an interview was had with the chilean commander-in-chief who had possession of the city and permission was requested and readily granted to occupy a station in arica upon arriving at the latter place some days after the chilean governor in charge was found to have instructions to facilitate the work and readily granted permission to establish the observatory in convenient locality but flatly refused to allow a wire to be extended to the telegraph office and also refused to forward to his immediate superior a request that it might be allowed he evidently supposed the party were emissaries of the united states sent to treat secretly with conquered peru but how he expected this was to be done remains a secret by a vigorous use of the telegraph in communicating with the u s ministers to both chile and peru his objections were silent and the wire was put up the observatory at arica was erected on the side of a hill to the windward of the town because it afforded a clear view and was less dirty than other eligible sites it also was a safe position in case of a possible earthquake or tidal wave by which arica had already been twice visited with disastrous effect 
in digging for a foundation for the transit pyre several mummies of the ancient peruvians were unearthed at a depth of a foot they had evidently belonged to the poorer class of people as their wrappings were composed of coarse mats instead of the fine cloth with which the wealthier people were usually interred one was the body of a female with long hair which had been turned to a reddish-yellow colour by the alkali in the soil the whole coast of peru is barren and desolate except in the river valleys it being seldom visited by rain while it is nearly always overhung with heavy clouds and fog-banks which render astronomical work exceedingly difficult even when partially clear in the daytime it generally becomes cloudy at night many times the observer would be at his place before sunset ready to seize the first suitable star revealed by the darkness only to be baffled by thick banks of cloud which would cover the entire sky in from five to ten minutes in northern peru with a latitude of about five degrees south is the town of paita it is an assemblage of mud-coloured houses at the foot of high mud-coloured bluffs on top of these bluffs is a perfectly barren tableland extending inland and up and down the coast for many miles before visiting it the observers were informed that its one good point was the perfect astronomical weather which always prevailed clouds were unknown and such a thing as rain had never been heard of the extreme dryness of the atmosphere was so favourable to health that no one ever died and when a consumptive invalid was imported by the inhabitants in the hope of starting a cemetery he plastered their expectations by recovering judge then of their feeling when upon arriving at this delightful place they were met with the information that while it was true that the sky was in general perfectly clear both by day and night yet about once in seven years rain could be expected and that the year then present was the rainy one and sure enough it did rain the usually dusty streets became rivers and quagmires the rocky valleys in the vicinity were transformed into roaring torrents and the tableland usually an arid desert became a swamp with a rank growth of vegetation however by using every opportunity and snatching stars between clouds and showers the work was finally completed upon arriving in panama shortly after this experience the party was met with the pleasant intelligence that yellow fever was prevalent and that the foreigners were dying like sheep nearly every day of the party's stay some one died of sufficient importance to have the church bells tolled for his funeral while of the ordinary people little notice was taken every morning the writer remembers passing a carpenter's shop where nothing was made but coffins and the supply was evidently not equal to the demand for finally the proprietor began to import them apparently by the shipload the weather however was delightful and the nights were the most perfect astronomically speaking that could be desired the observers who went from japan to vladivostok were obliged to wait several weeks at nagasaki before an opportunity offered for proceeding to their destination and when they finally arrived the getting away again was a problem communication with the outside world by water was only open during the summer months 
and even then it was more accidental than otherwise. The party established the observatory, however, and settled down to work, letting the future take care of itself. In the early part of the work, rather an amusing incident occurred. As the community was full of all sorts and conditions of men, Koreans, Chinamen, and Russian exiles, the last not political but criminal offenders, it was thought wise to have a sentry stationed at the observatory to guard against any possible harm to the instruments. So the governor of the town was asked to furnish a soldier for that purpose, which request was readily granted, and one night the sentry was posted with orders to let no one touch the observatory. These orders he construed literally, and when the observers appeared to commence their night's work, he kept them off at the point of the bayonet. His only language being Russian, with which the observers were not familiar, it was impossible to explain the true state of affairs, and it was only after hunting up an interpreter and communicating with his commanding officer that an entry was finally effected. A good deal of bad weather was experienced at that place, but at the end of six weeks enough observations had been made for the required purpose, and the party was fortunate enough to secure passage to Nagasaki in a small steamer that had brought a load of coal out from Germany. In the expedition to the Asiatic coast, one of the most interesting experiences was the trip to Manila in the Philippine Islands. This is quite a large town when intact, but a great portion of it is usually in the condition of being shaken down by an earthquake or blown over by a typhoon. The inhabitants are full of energy, however, and find time between downfalls to build up again. The cable from Hong Kong lands at a point about 120 miles from Manila, and the writer was directed to proceed thither, with a chronometer and chronograph for the purpose of transmitting time signals. The first part of the journey was made in a small coasting steamer uncommonly dirty, and occupied about 36 hours. At the end of that time, the village of Sual in the Gulf of Lingayen was reached. This was distant from the cable station about thirty miles, and the remainder of the journey was made in a native boat, with mat sails and bamboo outriggers, part of the time through channels between numerous small islands, and for some distance in the open sea. The progress was slow, but it was a pleasant way of travelling, except for the sleeping accommodations which were primitive consisting of a palm-leaf mat thrown over a platform made of split bamboo, in which all the knots had been carefully preserved. About three days, including stoppages, were consumed in this thirty-mile voyage, and the traveller finally reached his destination to be received with the greatest hospitality by the staff at the telegraph station, and just in time to allay the fears of the observers at Hong Kong and Manila, who had begun to think him lost. About three weeks were spent here, and as the work only occupied a short time at night, the days were pleasantly passed in exploring the surrounding country, making friends with the natives, shooting and photographing the scenery. The return to Manila was by the same route, and occupied nearly the same length of time. The measurement from Singapore to Madras was over one of the longest lines of cable ever used for this purpose, the distance being about 1,600 nautical miles. 
the atlantic cables used by dr gould in eighteen sixty six were a little more than one thousand eight hundred fifty miles in length there was an intermediate station at penang about four hundred miles from singapore where all the work of the line was repeated for the longitude measurement however the cables were connected through to form an unbroken line the mirror was the only instrument that could be used and even with this the signals were feeble and much affected by earth currents the observing parties have never been troubled by wild beasts but while at saigon in cochin china a rifle was always kept handy for use in case of the appearance of a tiger the observatory here was located near the edge of a jungle and alongside the telegraph station on the veranda of which a large tiger had been shot by one of the operators only a short time before in the expedition of last winter to mexico and central america the principal annoyance was caused by insects which were numerous and malignant at Coatzacoalcos they were found in the greatest abundance, though the whole isthmus of Tehuantepec is alive with them. Fleas and mosquitoes were expected, of course, but added to this were numerous others much worse. Of the family of ticks, four varieties were seen and felt, ranging in size from almost microscopic to a length of a third of an inch. The most numerous were about as large as the grain of a mustard seed, and one who walked or rode through the bushes or high grass would find himself literally covered. One of the worst insects encountered was the nigua, which is in appearance something like a small flea. It burrows into the toes and soles of the feet, lays a number of eggs, which hatch and produce painful sores. A gruesome story is current in that region about an enthusiastic English naturalist who found specimens of these encamped in his feet, and concluded to take them home in that way, in order to observe the effect, but died of them before reaching England. All the party were afflicted with these pests, but were always fortunate enough to discover them and dig them out with the point of a knife before any bad results were experienced. The village of Coatzacoalcos is prettily situated. The climate, especially in winter, is very agreeable, and the river offers a commodious harbour, but as long as the insects are so unpleasant, few people will care to live there if they can avoid it. There have been directly determined by these various expeditions about forty secondary meridians. Many more positions depend upon these, so they may be said to have made a large addition to our accurate knowledge of the Earth's surface. Telegraphic facilities are being constantly extended, and as the Bureau of Navigation has now a very complete outfit for this work, which only needs occasional repairs, it is hoped that it may be kept up for some time in the future. End of section 3